0: Romans chapter 10. The text for the sermon is verses 6 through 10. I will be focusing on those verses 6 through 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart, shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach, except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace, and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. But, I say, did not Israel know? First, Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people. And by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel he saith, All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. We read the word of God that far. The text again is verses 6 through 10. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning in our first worship service, we commemorated the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost in fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. God revealed through Joel, the prophet, that when he pours out his spirit upon all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That's what we saw this morning. This afternoon, your sons and your daughter have prophesied. Two of your sons and one of your daughters has stood up here in the church and prophesied. And they prophesied when they made public confession of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ with their mouths, They confessed with their mouths the Lord Jesus, to use the words of our text, and they testified of their faith that God hath raised him from the dead. Now, in our text, God promises that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There is the blessed promise of the gospel. And the Apostle Paul proves this promise of the gospel in verse 13. As I mentioned this morning in our service, the Apostle Paul in this chapter quotes the verse that we considered this morning in part in verse 13 when he says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a quote from Joel's prophecy that when God pours out his spirit... Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now the apostle takes hold of that text as a proof of the promise of the gospel throughout the whole New Testament. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Confession of faith is an important fruit of the Spirit. This morning, we commemorated the outpouring of the Spirit on Pentecost. Confession of faith is an important fruit that the Spirit works in the hearts and lives of believers. Public confession of faith is a significant moment in the life of a young Christian. Today, you three young people, Have confessed your faith before your friends and your family, before the whole world in a certain sense, and before God. You have confessed before God and before Jesus Christ sitting at his right hand that you believe in him and that you promise by the grace of God to live a new and godly life following him. One of the benefits of making public confession of your faith in a Reformed church is that we can now come to the Lord's Supper and partake together with the other believers. In our congregation, we are partaking the Lord's Supper next Sunday morning, God willing. And so this service is also what we call a preparatory service, and it calls the attention of us confessing members to examine ourselves, to examine our own faith, our own hearts, And may God use the sermon this afternoon to that end. Let's consider the text under the theme, Believing and Confessing the Lord Jesus. Notice, first of all, the word of faith we preach. In the second place, the confessing of believers. And finally, the salvation of believers. In the context of our text, we read about the words of Moses in verse 5. Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. That is the word of Moses. The man that doeth the works of the law shall live through the works of the law. Now the Apostle Paul writes in this chapter that Israel was zealously following the word of Moses. Israel was ignorant of the righteousness of God. And Israel was going about trying to establish their own righteousness by doing the works of the law. And that was very foolish of them. They were ignorant of the righteousness that God has provided in Christ, who is the end of the law for righteousness. They were trying to do what is impossible for a man to do, to be righteous before God by the works of the law of Moses. And that brings us to our text in verse 6, where the Apostle says, But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. The Apostle is personifying something he calls the righteousness of faith. Now, the righteousness which is of faith is a doctrine. It's a concept. It's a, a message of the gospel. But he personifies it as if the righteousness which is of faith is your preacher this afternoon. The one who is preaching to you is the righteousness of faith, the apostle says. The righteousness of faith stands before you, and he preaches to you. And what does he say? What does our preacher have to say to us, according to the text? The righteousness of faith says, Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above, And who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead? The righteousness of faith doesn't say that. It says don't do that. Don't say that in your heart. But what does it say? It says the word is nigh thee. It is in your heart and it is in your mouth. It is not far from you. Our preacher is quoting from earlier scriptures in Deuteronomy 30 verses 11 through 14, and there you will find this. Moses says there in Deuteronomy 30, For this commandment which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us that we may hear and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. Paul said that, Moses said that in Deuteronomy 30. The righteousness which is of faith now takes that text and quotes it, but applies it to the gospel. You see, when Moses said that, He was referring to the law. He was referring to the commandment of God. He was saying about the commandment, you shouldn't say that it's hidden, it's far away. It's in your mouth, it's in your heart. But now our preacher is saying, you must apply that to the gospel. You must apply that to Christ. What is going on here? What is our text talking about? What is our preacher saying to us? Our preacher is the righteousness which is of faith. What is that preacher saying to us? The preacher is saying, Do not say in your heart, Who shall ascend up into heaven to bring Christ down? And who shall descend into the abyss of the grave to bring Christ up from the dead? Don't say that in your heart. That's what our preacher is saying to us. Why does our preacher not want us to say that in our hearts? When you say something in your heart, you are thinking it, but you're not speaking it out loud. You're pondering it. You're meditating on it. You're thinking about it. And our preacher is saying to us, don't think about that. Don't think that in your heart. Don't say that in your heart. What is he talking about when he says that? Do not say in your heart, who shall ascend up into heaven to bring down Christ for me? Or who shall descend into the deep to bring Christ up from me, for the, from the dead? Don't say that. You see, if you're saying that in your heart, if you're thinking that in your mind, then that's arising out of unbelief. That's an unbelieving question. That's a doubtful question. Because everyone knows the answer to both of those questions. Who shall ascend up into heaven? Who will climb up into heaven and take Christ and bring him down here to the earth so that I can see him, so that I can know and be sure that there's a Christ, so I can be sure and know that there's a Savior? Who's going to do that for me? Everyone knows that's impossible. No one can do that. Don't say that. Don't say in your heart, who shall descend into the deep? Who shall go down into the grave for me and take Christ and raise him up from the dead for me so that I can see whether he really lives or not? So that I can see with my own eyes whether there is a Christ, a living Christ, a living Savior. Everyone knows the answer to that question. No one can do that. That's impossible. Don't say that. That's what our preacher is saying. Don't say that. The reasoning... And the thinking of the unbelieving mind is, there is no Christ. There is no Savior. And there is no salvation because I can't see it. And if I can't see it, I don't believe it exists. But our preacher says to us today, don't say that. Our natural reasoning is to think, well, if I can't see it, if nobody is able to bring Christ down from heaven for me or bring Christ up from the grave for me and I can't see Christ in front of me, then it's impossible. If it's impossible for man, then it's simply impossible. And if it's impossible, I won't believe it. Our preacher says to us today, don't say that. Don't say that in your heart. Those are the questions of unbelief, you know. Those questions arise out of unbelief. They arise out of the heart of a person who already is doubtful and skeptical that there is a Christ, that Jesus, this Jesus, that he was the Christ, that he is the Savior, that he ever came down from heaven, that he ever rose from the dead. There's skepticism already there to ask those questions. And then when that skeptical, doubtful person asks those questions... His skepticism and doubt grows worse and worse. And do you know what a person does when he doesn't believe there's a Christ? When he doesn't believe there's a Savior? What does he do? He goes about trying to establish his own righteousness. He takes hold of the word of Moses that whosoever shall do these things shall live by them. And he thinks to himself, if there's no Christ to save me, then I have to save myself. I better get busy. I better keep that law. And that is just as impossible. So our preacher says to us today, don't say that. Don't say that. What does it say? Our preacher says to us, the word is nigh thee. It is in thy heart. It is in thy mouth that is the word of faith which we preach. You see, Moses was talking about the law. The law of God is not far away, hidden up in heaven. The law of God is not far away, hidden far away from uh, across the sea. Moses' point was, God's word and his law is near. God has given it to you. You can read it. It's in your heart and in your mouth. Now our preacher takes that and applies it to the gospel. Christ is not far away. He's not hidden. He's very near to you. He's in your heart and in your mouth. Because that word of faith that we preach is Christ. Christ is the word that we preach. And therefore Christ is not far from you at all but he's very near. What is the word of faith that we preach? The word of faith that I have been sent to preach is that there is a Christ, and that Christ is the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, and he did what we could never do. We could never go up into heaven and bring him down to the earth, but he came down to the earth willingly, He came down in the person of Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem of the Virgin Mary. And Jesus is our righteousness. There's a righteousness for us, and that's Jesus. He lived his entire life on this earth in perfect obedience to the law of God. He is our righteousness. He died on the cross, heaping upon himself the curse that we deserve for our sins. And by suffering and dying on the cross, he redeemed us. He is our righteousness. And rising from the dead, because God raised him up from the dead. Nobody can go down into the grave of Jesus and raise him up. That's impossible. But God has done it. God has raised him up from the dead to demonstrate to us that we have a righteousness in Jesus Christ. You cannot see him. He's ascended up into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God. And there he makes intercession for us. And he is coming again on the clouds of heaven to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of the entire universe, sitting at the right hand of God. He is our Savior. He is our righteousness. He is real. He is living. That's what our preacher says to us today. He's coming again to judge. And what he does, he's going to bring all of us who believe in him into our eternal inheritance in the new creation, in the new heavens and the new earth, a place that will be full of righteousness. That's what the righteousness that is of faith says. That's the word of faith that we preach. That word of faith is not far from you is very near it is in your mouth it is in your heart and you young people who made confession of your faith today that word of faith is the word that you have heard preached to you since you were little children right here in this church since you were little you have heard that word of faith preached from this pulpit you have heard that word about christ preached in the catechism class When you were little, you heard all the Bible stories about Jesus, the Old Testament, the New Testament. When you were older, you learned the doctrines about the gospel. And again and again, the word of faith was not far from you, but it was near. It was in your hearts and in your mouths. It is in your heart in your faith. It is in your mouth through your confession. Because as we saw this morning, the fruit of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and confessing him with the mouth. And the Apostle says, the word of faith that we preach, which word is Christ Jesus, the real and living Lord who is our righteousness, is also this. If thou shalt believe with thy heart that God raised him from the dead, and if thou shalt confess with thy mouth that Jesus is Lord, thou shalt be saved. That's the word of faith that we preach. With the heart man believeth, the apostle says. The heart is the deepest, innermost, hidden, core, of your soul that's your heart we're not talking here about the physical heart that beats in your chest but the spiritual heart is invisible to your eyes to my eyes and to everyone else's eyes except for God it's your innermost core and the apostle says with the heart man believeth with the heart with the mind we know things You can put all kinds of things into your mind. You can read, you can study, you can learn, you can learn facts, you can learn doctrines, you can read the Bible and know what the Bible says, and you can put all of that into your mind. But with the mind, we don't believe. With the mind, we know things. With the heart, man believes. With the heart, we believe things that we do not see. Everyone believes something. Everyone knows something, but everyone believes something, too. The question is, what do you believe? Everyone trusts in someone. Who do you trust in? Who do you put your trust in? Everyone trusts in someone. All of you trust in someone. Who do you trust in? Who do you believe in? There are some people who know all about God. They know all about Jesus. They know all kinds of doctrines that the Bible teaches. But they don't believe it. They don't believe a word of it. Oh, they believe something, because everyone believes something. But what they believe is not what the Bible teaches. They know what the Bible teaches, but they don't believe it. They know that the Bible talks about Jesus, but they don't trust in him. They trust in someone or something, but it's not Jesus. Woe unto such people. The Bible tells us that there are such people mixed in the church. They go by various names, such as hypocrite. They are pretenders. They are frauds. They come out and they say that they are believers. They present themselves as believers. And they know lots and lots of things, but they don't believe it. In their hearts, they don't believe it. The heart that you can't see, that I can't see, but that only God can see, and only the man himself knows his own heart. He believes something else. And yet, often those who know very many things about the Bible but don't believe it They are deceived in their own minds. They think they believe it. And one day they're going to stand before Jesus Christ. And they're going to say to him, Lord, Lord, did we not do many great things in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do miracles? Didn't we prophesy? All the things we did, we did for you, Lord. And the Lord will say to them, I never knew you. I don't know you. Who are you? They are hypocrites. Woe unto them. They're mixed in. We don't know who they are because we can't see their hearts. But the apostle says, if thou shalt believe in thy heart... With the heart, man believes. What do you believe in your heart? I ask that to each of you. Do you believe in your heart that God raised up Jesus from the dead? In your heart. Not talking about your mind. I know that you all know about that. You've all read the Bible. You all know the Bible talks about this Jesus who rose from the dead. No, I'm asking you, do you believe in your heart that Jesus arose from the dead and he lives? Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? If thou shalt confess the Lord Jesus, that is, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you confess that with your mouth, do you believe that? Do you believe Jesus is in heaven? at the right hand of God, that he's truly gone there. He's done what was impossible for us to do. He came down from heaven. He rose from the dead. He went up to heaven. He sits at the right hand of God. And he is Lord. Lord over all the universe. Do you believe that? Or do you listen to what modern man says, that there is no God, but we live in an empty universe that came about from a big bang by chance and evolved over billions of years? Jesus died and didn't rise again, and there is no hope and no salvation. Is that what you believe in your heart? Sometimes Christians wrestle with doubts. That's true. Well, what do you believe in your heart? Do you believe... That Jesus is Lord. But that's not all. The devils also believe and they tremble. They know that Jesus is Lord, they know that He rose from the dead, but they hate Him. Do you believe that Jesus was raised up from the dead by God after He died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that? Do you believe that the the reason Christ came down from heaven was to die on the cross for you because you are a wretched, miserable sinner? Because there's nothing that you can do because you are lost and unable to save yourself. So he came down from heaven in his love for you to rescue you. And he shed his own precious blood for you on the cross. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is your Lord? You don't just say, yes, I believe Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. But do you believe he's your Lord? Yours. Which means, I believe that Jesus purchased me. By his blood, not with silver or gold, but by his own precious blood. He bought me. He purchased me, body and soul, and he owns me, and I belong to him. He is my Lord, and I serve him. I love him. I follow him. I devote myself to him. Do you believe that? And there's still more. Do you believe in him who died and rose again? Do you believe in him? You might still be deceived. You might believe that there's a God and there's a Jesus, and you might think that he is your Lord, but you are going about trying to establish your own righteousness by your own works. Are you doing that? Are you trying to be right with God by your own works? Or do you trust in Jesus Christ alone as your righteousness? The apostle says in the text, With the heart man believeth. If thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. You are a true believer. But the apostle doesn't only speak about believing in Jesus in the heart. He also talks about confessing him with the mouth. Remember, we have this preacher before us today who is the righteousness which is of faith. And that preacher is saying to us, the word, the word of faith that we preach, the word of Jesus Christ come down from heaven, crucified, risen from the dead, Lord of all. That word of faith that we preach is in your heart and in your mouth. It's very near to you. In your heart and in your mouth. It's in your mouth. For if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, with the mouth confession is made. That's what you did. With your mouths. Downstairs a few weeks ago. You came before the consistory. With your mouths. You told us what you believed. You confessed. With your mouths. That you believe in God. And you believe that God raised him from the dead. He lives. And he is your righteousness and your savior. You said that to us. Today here. You stood up. And you confessed publicly before me and all of these people, your friends, your family, your moms, dads, grandpas, grandmas, cousins. You confessed before all of us with your mouths, yes, I believe that. I believe in him. He's my savior. And I want to follow him by the grace of God. You confessed that. Not only that, but all the angels and demons that are swarming around this building right now, they always are. You confessed before them too. You said to them, I believe in Christ. He is my Lord. I serve him. I love him. I trust in him for all of my righteousness. That's what you said. But more importantly, you said that before God. God heard your confession with your mouth. With the mouth, we make confession of what is in our heart. Not always. There are hypocrites. What comes out of their mouth is not what is in their heart. But when the child of God, who is a true believer, confesses with his mouth, he is saying with his mouth what he believes in his heart. It's inevitable. It must happen. Confession with the mouth is the fruit of of a true and living faith. We sang that from Psalm 116 earlier. The apostle quotes that in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 13 and 14. According as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. The word confession in the Bible means to say the same thing. God has spoken. We say the same thing. That's confession. God speaks in his word. God speaks through the gospel. God says, Christ, my son, is your righteousness. Confession means we say, Christ, God's son, is my righteousness. God says, I love you. I gave my son for you. I'm going to save you and bring you to heaven. We say the same thing. God loves me. I believe that. And he sent his son to be my righteousness. And he's going to take me home to heaven. That's confession. You're saying the same thing that God says. And when God denies something, you also deny it. When God says... What the world says, that there is no God, that I don't exist, that's false. Confession means I say the same thing. That's false. When God says, you cannot establish your own righteousness by doing the works of the law, then we say, and I agree, that's false. I cannot establish my own righteousness by performing the works of the law. I deny that. That's confession. Confession. We say the same thing as God. Now sometimes true believers fail to make that confession. True believers sometimes fail to say the same thing as God. Think of Peter. He was so proud that no matter what happened, he would never deny the Lord. He would never forsake the Lord. And Jesus warned him before the rooster crows twice. You will deny me thrice. And Peter did not say the same thing that God says, but he denied Jesus three times. But when the true child of God does that, which is a grievous sin, God always humbles him and brings him to repentance. When Peter heard that rooster, it was a trigger in his heart how great of a sin he had committed. What did he do? He went out into the darkness of the night and wept bitterly. Because he didn't confess the Lord Jesus. He denied him. But by the grace of God, believers do confess that Jesus is Lord. They say the same thing as God. Believers have been doing that for centuries. Believers did that in the early church. They stood before kings and emperors, and they confessed that Jesus is Lord. They stood before King Agrippa and Festus and Felix, those mighty Roman governors and kings. They stood before Caesar Augustus or Caesar Nero, and they said, Jesus is Lord. And they were thrown into the lions. They were thrown into prisons. They were burned at the stake. They were hung on the gallows. Because they said, Jesus is my Lord, not you. They were killed. They were sawn asunder. They were martyred. For hundreds and hundreds of years, that's been happening. And we live in times of peace and freedom. There's no one knocking on our doors, threatening to haul us off to jail. There's no one at those doors right now, waiting to pounce on this preacher and Shackle him up and bring him into prison. Not yet. but There will be. There will be. And what will you do then? When there are men with guns waiting to take you off or put you in jail or take your life, then will you still confess the same thing Jesus is Lord. If we live in the last days when the Antichrist comes, when he rises up out of the sea, establishes with his iron fist a one-world government, and he calls everybody to bow the knee to him, what will you do? Will you then, too, confess Jesus is Lord? Jesus said, you have to count the cost if you will be my disciple. Those who gain their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for his sake will gain it. Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, he said, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men without repentance Him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. But he said, don't be afraid. Don't fear those who can take your life. Don't fear those who can kill your body. But fear God who can kill body and soul in hell. Fear him. Don't be afraid of men. Confess. Say the same thing that God says. Say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is risen. Jesus is my righteousness. How can a sinner possibly say that? He can't. Not without the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, the apostle wrote, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. If you have the Spirit in your heart, you will never curse Jesus. And that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. There it is again. Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost upon us, is the only power by which we can say Jesus is Lord. And we conclude now this afternoon with the same promise of salvation that we concluded with this morning. Much of the text is framed as a promise It's the promise of salvation, the promise of the gospel. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth and shalt believe in thine heart, thou shalt be saved. That's the promise. Thou shalt be saved. Future tense, a promise. God is promising, you will be saved. That promise of salvation is a particular promise. As we saw this morning, it's not a universal promise. God does not promise to save everyone. God does not promise to save every single person. That's obvious in the text. If thou shalt believe, thou shalt be saved. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved. Not everyone. Only those who believe and confess that Jesus is Lord shall be saved. No one else. There are lots of people in the world today who deny that. Woe unto them. They deny that Jesus has really come down from heaven, that he has really died for sinners, that he has really risen from the dead. They will be damned. They will not be saved unless the Lord gives them the gift of faith. If thou shalt believe and if thou shalt confess, thou shalt be saved who believes and who confesses. Only those who have received the Holy Spirit. And who receives the Holy Spirit? Only those whom God has predestined to eternal life, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. The promise of the Spirit, Peter said, is unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord shall call. The promise is for the elect. Now, notice those last two phrases. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. What does that mean? With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, into righteousness, with a view to righteousness. That does not mean that my act of believing causes me to obtain righteousness. It doesn't mean that there is something that I do, that I must do, and that I can do in order to obtain righteousness. There's nothing that I can do in myself to obtain righteousness. He is not saying that faith is the condition of being justified and being righteous. But he is saying that believing in Jesus Christ is the means of obtaining and receiving righteousness. The means. He's saying that when the Holy Spirit works in the hearts of his people and moves them so that they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they trust in him with a true and living faith. They consciously believe in him, they look away from themselves. They cast away all their works. They renounce their works. They renounce all of their abilities. They come to the end of themselves and they realize there's nothing I can do to ascend up into heaven, nothing I can do to ascend into hell. I can't bring Christ. I can't do anything. And so I look to Christ and I trust in him alone. When the Holy Spirit works that faith, by means of that faith, we receive the very righteousness of Christ. The Reformation taught us we are justified by faith alone, in Christ alone. That's what the scriptures teach. That's what the gospel says. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. When we believe by the grace of God, we receive righteousness. Not our righteousness. Christ's righteousness. The righteousness that he obtained by his life and death. We receive it. God imputes it to us freely and graciously so that we experience the supreme blessedness of the man to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, whose sins are forgiven, who knows peace with God. And as the Heidelberg Catechism says, even though I know that I have grossly transgressed all of God's commandments and kept none of them, I believe in my Savior, and by faith in him, I know that God graciously grants and imputes to me his righteousness so that it is just as if I never sinned, and it's just as if I obeyed all that obedience that Christ did for me. And then finally, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. What does that mean? Confession is made. A man confesses that Jesus is Lord unto salvation. Into salvation. With a view to, with an eye to his salvation. Once again, it doesn't mean that my act of confessing that Jesus is Lord causes me to be saved, causes me to obtain salvation, is the condition or prerequisite or something that I have to do or perform in order to be saved. No. But confessing that Jesus is Lord is the path on which the child of God walks. The path that ends in complete salvation. Someone who confesses that Jesus is Lord is already saved. His very confession is the evidence that he has already been saved in principle. He has already begun to receive the blessings of salvation. God has begun the good work of salvation in him. The spirit is already working. And now as a child of God, already saved, already regenerated, already believing in Christ, already justified, God says to him, now, confess that Jesus is Lord as long as you live. Walk on that path. Don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. Walk on that path. Walk on that path. Confess that Jesus is Lord. As long as you walk on that path, confess that Jesus is Lord. Unto salvation. That is, with your eye on the finish line. With your eye on the end of your life. When you will obtain much more of that salvation than you have now. When you will depart from this life of sin and sorrow and death and struggle and you will inherit perfect salvation in your soul. Confess that Jesus is Lord until they take off your head. Confess that he is Lord until they throw you into the dungeon. Confess that he is Lord until they torture your body. Confess that he is Lord until your soul departs unto salvation. Confess that he is Lord. Confess that Jesus is Lord with a view to that great day when Jesus comes again. When he raises up your body from the dead and resurrecting you he gives you the fullness of that salvation. You think you're saved right now? You don't know anything yet. We only have a foretaste. We only have a beginning of that salvation. A tiny, tiny beginning. Confess that Jesus is Lord until finally he gives you everything. In body and soul, you experience perfect righteousness in the kingdom of God for all eternity. That's the hope of the Christian. As we live in this world, believing in the heart what the word of faith says to us, confessing with our mouth, Jesus is my Lord. Amen. Father, we give thee thanks for the gospel, that thou hast sent thy Son to die and rise again, that thou hast done what was impossible for us to do, We thank Thee, Father, for the call of the gospel. We pray that Thou would prick our hearts, that Thou would make us to see how much we need Jesus Christ, that we may put our full and complete trust in Him. Be with these young people as they go forth now in their lives. Confirm them and establish them in their confession. Give them grace to make that confession until the day of their full salvation.